Bibles out this evening, turn to Colossians chapter 1 together. We're going to talk tonight about pleasing the Lord. And uh, I'll let you know right now, I'm probably going to get somebody mad at me tonight. Uh, But I know know one person that won't be mad at me tonight is the Lord. So uh, as long as the Lord's not mad at me, I'm okay. I don't have to go home with any of you. My wife's not in here, so I can say whatever I want. She won't get mad. Uh, She's in the... Pioneer Club, so I, I, got, I don't have to, I, you know, I kick my kids out if they don't like what I said, so I'm not worried. All right, that doesn't look good already. Okay, <laughs> let's all stand. Colossians chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse number 9. If you read along with me, we'll read through to verse 17. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now that's the text of our message tonight. That phrase in verse 10, you might want to underline that. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. Let's pray. Our Father, we do desire tonight to please you. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray you speak to us now. I pray that you would instruct us from the word, that we might know how to please you, that we might not form all these silly opinions of man and in vain efforts to please the Lord, but that we might truly learn what is pleasing to God. Bless us tonight as we gather around your word. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, as we sit in this place, thousands upon thousands of people are attempting to please the Lord. They are attempting to please the Lord by taking control of their life. They will do this by much effort in things such as the clothing they wear, the music they listen to, the length of their hair, the manner in which they speak, the books they read, the television they watch, and the list could go on and on. And this they will do, these these attempts at, at all these things to please the Lord, they will do because that is what they have been told. They've been told that this is how we please the Lord. They've been taught that if we can control all these things, then we're good Christians, and our life will be pleasing to the Lord. And there is a half-truth hidden in there. It is true that these outward manifestations I've described can be evidence of inward spirituality. However, it is important to note that these outward manifestations are not a guarantee of inward spirituality. 
Remember, the scriptures tell us that even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, we read, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan himself can appear to be spiritual. Therefore, we must understand that a man's ability to control his outward appearance or his outward behavior is not necessarily the manifestation of the Spirit of God. And foolish is the person that believes that he or she can please the Lord by controlling these outward behaviors. Consider for a moment the warnings the apostles gave the early churches in their writings. Warnings against wicked men who would creep into the churches unaware. In Galatians 2.4 we read, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Jude tells us in the fourth verse of his book, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I I propose to you that the only way these men could creep into the churches unaware to the eyes of the elect is if they appeared to be like us. So don't sit here tonight and tell me that you are more holy than someone else because you dress a certain way or because you wear your hair a certain way. I love Brother Ekno. Did you know that Brother Ekno lost support because he grew a goatee? Because he grew facial hair, churches cut off his support. He, he, sent, he actually sent us a copy of the letter that the pastor of that church wrote to him saying that they could no longer support him because he grew facial hair. So don't tell me you're more holy than another person because of these outward manifestations. Jesus himself rejected this philosophy. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, he's speaking to the, to the Pharisees. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye are out, you outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Now listen, don't come up to me and exalt yourself because you have standards. Standards that are meant to clean the outside of the cup. Standards that do not have a basis in Scripture, but are mere preferences. Tonight, let us shake off the yoke of bondage to this false doctrine. Now, don't get me wrong tonight. Don't walk out of here and misquote me. Our outward appearance is important. Amen? It serves as an example. 
and as an encouragement to those around us. However, these are not things that please the Lord. So if these outward standards that we strive to live by are not the things that please God, then what does please the Lord? So with the time we have tonight, allow me to share the Word of God with you and to show you from Scripture what the Scriptures affirm as being pleasing to the Lord. So number one tonight, the first thing I'm going to say is this. Our obedience pleases the Lord. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, we read, Then then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer or allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is an obedient act unto the Father. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist did not want to baptize Jesus because he felt unworthy, but Jesus insisted that John do so. And I think there are two very basic reasons For this insistence. First, because Jesus is going to set the example for all of us to follow. And secondly, because it is God's will. And Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father. It was out of obedience. And this obedience pleased the Lord. Tonight, there are people running all over this country who appear, as the Pharisees did, appear outwardly to be righteous, but inwardly they're filled with disobedience to their Father. And let us not mistake for one moment our outward appearance, our our outward manifestations do not give evidence of an obedient heart, and that is what the Lord desires tonight. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, we read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. You see, Saul tried to disguise his disobedience by offering the Lord a sacrifice in place of his obedience. What what did the Lord tell Saul to do? He said to utterly destroy Amalek. Now, you may not like the Lord's command here, because he said, destroy all the men, destroy all the women, destroy all the children, destroy all the infants, destroy all the cattle, all the sheep, all the oxen, utterly destroy everything, Saul, take it all down, destroy it all. But the scripture tells us that when Saul saw the rams and the lambs, He kept some alive, and he kept the women alive, and and he kept the children alive, and he disobeyed the Lord. Listen, the Lord is, is not interested in our sacrifices at the cost of our obedience. And this epitomizes Christianity today. Today, men will come to church, cast their offerings into the plate, in an effort to ease their guilty conscience. 
They will clean up and put on a suit or a dress, trim their hair, shave their face, curb their tongue for a few hours, come to church, and then walk away from the church and return to the same lifestyle they had before they came. All the while thinking they have pleased the Lord because they were able to offer Him sacrifices despite the fact that they have failed to obey His word. But is this pleasing to the Lord? Does the Lord take pleasure in that Christian? You see, even though that Christian was able to obey the rules of being a good Christian, it did not come from a heart of obedience. It came from a heart of compliance. Well, I have to dress a certain way. I I have to do a certain thing. I have to because I want to be a good Christian, and that's what good Christians do. So I have to do this. I have to do that. But you know what? I don't find one scripture in the Bible that confirms that God takes pleasure in our compliance to rules. Not one. By the way, compliance is a synonym of conformance. And what does the Bible say about conforming? Well, in Romans 12, 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So before you look down your nose at another Christian that does not conform to the image that you think they should be, you better see about transforming the way you think about these standards that we so often impose on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we had better transform our thinking concerning what is and what is not pleasing unto the Lord. So first tonight, I submit to you, according to the Scriptures, that obedience pleases the Lord. Well, what else pleases the Lord? I find another thing in Scripture that's pleasing to God, and that is, number two, our faith pleases the Lord. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Scriptures state, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to live for God when things are going well, does it? When everything is hunky-dory, it's easy to come to church and say, Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Sing Sing the hymns with a smile on your face. Shake everyone's hand enthusiastically. Hey, Joe, how you doing today? You doing all right? Good. Amen. Brian, you doing good? Amen. All right. I'm so glad to be here today. I'm so happy. Everything's going great. It's easy to have faith when your job is secure, when your mortgage is paid up, when your health is good. It's easy to face each day with confidence and courage in God. But what about when trouble comes? And by the way, Right now, everyone in this room has either just gone through a storm, is about to go through a storm, or is in the middle of a storm right now. But you mark it down. Trouble comes. Offenses will come. What about when trouble comes? You lose your job. Your home is repossessed. Your car blows an engine. Or your doctor gives you bad news. How do you respond in those times? What happens to your prayer life? 
What happens to your church attendance? What happens to your faith? You see, in these times of testing, the Lord is looking for you to show your faith. He hasn't forsaken you. He won't give up on you. He knows your problems. He knows your trouble. His hand is still upon you. He will provide. But he's looking to see how you will respond. He wants to see how you're going to respond in front of your family. In front of your friends. And even in front of your enemies. Now just remember what the scriptures say about this. In Hebrews 10.38, the author of Hebrews writes, Now the just shall live by faith. But, and you know, most, most, most preachers quote that and they stop right there. Just shall live by faith. It isn't over. Look what he says. But, if any man draw back, if any man, in other words, if any man lacks faith, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So when we lack faith, we don't please God. When we lack faith, we fail to please the Lord. Even in these times of trouble, we can know that God is with us and will never forsake us. We are not like the heathen who have no hope. Therefore, do not live like the heathen that have no hope. In Hebrews 10.39, the very next verse, we read, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Prove God in your life. So that when the times of trial come, you can have faith in Him. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews meant in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 when he said, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of our faith, by the way, is built on the proving grounds of troubles. Rejoice and thank God for troubles. Now it's not easy, I know that. I know it's not easy to to, to rejoice in the midst of troubles, but be happy because God is going to show you His great power. The Lord is going to take you through this and He's going to show you just how great and mighty He is. Hallelujah for troubles. Praise the Lord for problems. Now, Lord, don't, don't test me tonight. I don't want any trouble. We're not like the heathen who have no hope. This is what the writer of Hebrews meant by these words in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The substance of our faith is built on the proving gowns of trouble. It's built upon the answers to our prayers. It's built upon the blessings that we have received as children of God. And the evidence of our faith is manifested in these same blessings and answers. So live by faith and not by sight. Rejoice in the Lord. In good times, in bad times, have faith. Faith pleases God. And when God is pleased, he moves, his blessings flow. So, obedience pleases the Lord. Faith pleases the Lord. Number three, our growth pleases the Lord. In Psalm 35 and verse 27, we read, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, I can state with certainty tonight that the prosperity being spoken of here is not that of material possessions. Yet, this is the mistake of so many today. 
So many today suppose that the evidence of God's blessing comes in the form of personal gain or accomplishment. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just a couple of books over, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's read verses 3 through 12. I'll begin reading at verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of word, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Now look what he says next. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. And I don't have time to read all these scriptures, but you can continue reading on. Our financial prosperity, our material prosperity, is not what is being talked about or implied in Psalm 35, 27. The prosperity spoken of here is that of our redemption. It's that of our edification and of our spiritual maturity. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter writes, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Peter writes, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before... Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now look what he says in verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Our growth, our spiritual maturity is pleasing unto the Lord. You know, I enjoyed watching my children grow up. I, I really did. Now I'd like to enjoy seeing them go bye-bye. No, I, actually, I, I don't want them to leave. I love my children. But I, I said, Father, I didn't come home with my baby and lay, lay, lay her in the bed and say, Oh, I hope you don't grow. I hope you stay just like this. I don't want you to grow now. I didn't go to my wife and say, We're not feeding her because I don't want her to grow. Don't you dare feed her. No feeding. No. I had great pleasure in watching them grow, seeing them take their first step, seeing them say that first word, dada. All my kids said daddy first. And if my wife tells you anything else, she's she's not telling you the truth. They all said daddy first. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing them graduate from kindergarten, and walk down the aisle in their little caps and gowns. I, I had such pleasure, such joy in that. I enjoyed watching my son play basketball here in the school. And, and watching him make his first basket as I stood on the sideline and tried to act like it was no big deal. But inside I was just going, oh yeah. I enjoyed seeing Janet and Corey walk the aisle just a year and a half ago. See them get married. They've provided me with two grand dogs. I'll be glad when they start giving me grandchildren. 
I had great pleasure in seeing my children grow up. And you know what? God has great pleasure in watching us grow up too. God has great pleasure when he sees us open our Bibles and study his word. That pleases God. Not not the clothes I'm wearing. God wants me to dress right. He wants me to look right. He wants me to speak right. He wants me to behave right. But those are not the things that please the Lord. It's, It's when God sees me sit at home in private with my Bible, reading, studying, the Holy Spirit showing me truth, and my eyes being opened and discovering. That pleases the Lord. When, when I, I encounter someone and I tell them about Jesus and I talk about our church and I tell them about how the Lord loves them and how, how Jesus died on the cross to, to save men, that pleases the Lord. When he sees me doing those things, that's what pleases the Lord. Not because I can, I can behave a certain way, but because God is pleased when he sees me spiritually growing. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Every one of us spiritually should grow every day. And if we don't, then we ought to get on our knees and ask God to help us do so. Because growing spiritually pleases God. So we see that God is pleased with our obedience. He's pleased with our faith. He's pleased with our growth. Then number four, our worship pleases the Lord. Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox, bullock that hath horns and hooves. This pleases God more. What is it? My worship. Worship. This is the purpose of all praise and thanksgiving. And we see this from Scripture, that God prefers our worship to our service. I remember remember for years, there there were churches that we associated with that if you put worship in your bulletin, something's wrong with you. Worship in church? We don't come to church to worship. And, and folks, you're looking at me kind of funny right now, but I'm telling you right now, that's exactly what they believe. And I know because I, I, I had conversations with these men over this very issue. We, we don't come to church to worship. Wor- they, they say worship is a private thing. Worship is between you and God. You don't come to church to worship. You come to church to be preached at. You come to church to to bring your sheaves with you. You come to church to bring your offerings, but you don't come to church to worship. Now, if you if 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 you guys were in in, in the fundamental movement within the Baptist church for as many years as I would, you you'd, you'd be sitting right now shaking your head yes, because that's exactly what they what they believe. We see we see from Scripture that God prefers worship over service. Look at Luke chapter 10 with me. I don't know, do I have those scriptures to come up? Luke chapter 10? Okay, let's, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Everyone turn to Luke chapter 10. Very, very well-known story. As soon as we get there, you'll all know. It's the story of Mary and Martha. 
Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, this was a great opportunity for the Lord to tell Mary that service is more important and thereby more pleasing to him than her sitting and worshiping at his feet. However, he did, in fact, tell Martha that Mary chose the more important part. He told Martha that worship is more pleasing to him and more needful for her than service. Now, don't misquote me here. Don't walk out of here and say, Brother Dalton said, service is unimportant. That's not what I'm saying. I believe in serving the Lord. And I think that most of you know this. However, listen to me very carefully. I do not serve the Lord in an attempt to please him. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want you to feel sorry for me, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I don't, I don't put in 60 hours a week here trying to please the Lord. That's not what I, I don't do it for that reason. Okay? I don't serve the Lord in an attempt to please him. And you know why? Because there's nothing I can do that will please him. There's no work I can perform that's pleasing to God. Regardless of its intent, my work cannot please the Lord. I serve the Lord. Why? Because he's worthy to be served. I serve the Lord because I am drawn by his Holy Spirit to serve him. I'm compelled to serve the Lord. Now, don't let me confuse you here. Don't fall asleep on me. God is pleased that I choose to serve Him. But my works do not please Him. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you understand? Raise your hand if you understand what I'm saying. God's very pleased that I choose to serve Him, but anything I do doesn't please Him. Because all my works are as filthy rags unto the Lord. Amen? So nothing I do pleases him, but he's very pleased that I choose to serve him. Unsaved men can do works of service, can't they? Unsaved men preach sermons, don't they? Unsaved men run, run religious schools, don't they? Unsaved men do all the same things I do every day. Do those things please the Lord? No. Why? Because our works are as filthy rags unto the Lord. What pleases the Lord? The intent of our heart. What's in our heart pleases God. You see, it's not our labors. It's what's in our heart that pleases Him. It's when we serve Him because He is worthy to be served. Not for the praise of men. Not for personal recognition. Not for personal gratification. Simply because He is and He is worthy of all that I am 
and all that I have. You young couples tonight, you could do nothing greater with your life than invest it in serving the Lord. But do not serve Him because you're trying to please Him. Because it won't please Him. If you serve Him to please Him, He's going to say, nope, wrong motive. We serve Him because He's worthy to serve. Not because it pleases, not, not because we're trying to please Him, but it will please Him. He'll be very content with your service. But what he wants is your worship. What he wants is you to reverence him. He wants you to love him. You see, this goes back, again, to the rules and regulations philosophy. Well, I have to do this because I want to please God. Wrong. Wrong answer. You go back to square one. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Um, By the way, this was the era of Cain. He sought to offer God the works of his hands. And we know that this work was rejected by the Lord. God God is pleased when we worship him. God is pleased when when we love him. And when that love compels us to serve him. And he's very pleased when we choose to serve him. And that is pleasing unto the Lord. God is pleased with our obedience. He's pleased with our faith. He's pleased with our growth. He's pleased with our worship. And then lastly tonight, God is pleased with our benevolence. Our benevolence pleases the Lord. Hebrews 13, 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, what is benevolence? Well, benevolence is defined as goodwill, kindness, charitableness, the love of mankind accompanied with a desire to promote their happiness. When I talk about benevolence, it can manifest itself in the church in two ways. First, by our love for the brethren. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we read, A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, I must note here that the Lord is not talking about an ordinary love. For all men, even lost men, love. The love that Jesus is talking about here is a love that exceeds normalcy. It is a love that would cause me to put my brother before myself. It is a love that would cause me to give out of my need, not out of my abundance. It is a love that would compel me to even lay down my life for another Christian. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, I wonder how many of us claim to love our brethren tonight. And you will love your brethren, by the way, if you are a true child of God. Now, I want you you to look around you right now. Everybody look around. Look at everybody in the church. Go ahead. 
Take a look at everybody around you in the church. Look at them. Look over there at, 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 at Greg and Calvin. Okay? Look at Randy and Linda. Look at everybody. Now, how many of these would you be prepared to die for tonight? See, that's the real question of love, isn't it? Because anybody can love. We can love those that love us. And, 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 and anybody can love. But God is not talking about an ordinary love here. You might say, well, now wait a minute, Brother Epshire. I love my brothers and sisters, but I'm not ready to die for them. Well, then you don't have the kind of love that pleases the Lord. Because that's the kind of love that pleases God. When we love one another as Jesus loved us. That's the kind of love God wants us to have. How many of these around you tonight, if you knew had a need, that you would be prepared to give that you have to meet that need? I said a moment ago, it's it's the kind of love that causes us to give out of our needs, not out of our abundance. Listen, anybody can, can help a brother when they have more than they need, but what about... What about when, when, when you have very little, but you are willing and prepared to give what you have to help another person? That's the kind of love we're talking about tonight. That's not a normal love. It's the kind of love that can only flow from the Lord himself. But that is the type of love that is pleasing to the Lord. Not a love which is only given if it's reciprocated. Not a love that's given for ulterior motives. It is a love given because the love of the Lord has overwhelmed us. It is the love of Christ flowing through us. And it has caused us to love in the name of the Lord. Think about the widow and her might. She walked over and took the the only thing she had in the world and put it in that collection box. And Jesus said, this widow, out of her need, out of her poverty, has given greater than all of you have given out of your wealth and prosperity. That's the kind of love that we need. When we talk about benevolence, we're talking about by our love for each other. But not only that, this benevolence is also seen, secondly, by bearing each other's burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this bearing of burdens is twofold. First, we are to help with the physical needs of the burden. If we have what what someone needs, then we should be willing to give that which we have to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, James writes, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? I can't say it any better than that. This is the difference, by the way, between pity and compassion. 
See, pity is a feeling of sympathy and sorrow for the misfortune of others. While compassion is the humane quality of understanding the suffering of others and doing something about it. And we are commanded to have compassion. It's not just feeling sorry for people, but it's doing something about it. I can illustrate this by this. Probably most of you who are over the age of 40 can equate to this. I can remember times when we had dessert at home growing up, and mom would would lay the dessert out in front of all of the the kids and in front of uh, dad, and then she would walk away, and and she didn't have any. And and everyone would say, Mom, aren't you going to eat dessert? Oh, no, I'm full. I'm not hungry. Oh, no, I don't like that kind of dessert. What was she doing? She was giving. She was giving to others. She, she, was, she was setting herself aside for her family. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to help with the physical needs. If someone has something, has a need, and you have the means to help, then help them. You'd say, but, but I don't want to give up what I have. Well, that kind of love isn't pleasing to God. The Lord is pleased when we Love the brethren when we bear one another's burdens, bear each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to help with the physical needs. And then we're to help with the emotional needs of the burden. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Listen. Not only do our brethren need help with the physical aspect of their needs and their burdens, but with the emotional aspects as well. Now, how can we help in this way? Let me give you some thoughts real quickly. I don't think I have these answer blanks on your answer sheet, but you can jot these down and we'll be done. How can we help with the emotional needs of our brothers? First one is to listen. Don't talk, just listen. Usually all people need is a chance to express their feelings. Then they're ready to deal with their problems. If your, brother has a, if your brother has a need, go to them and say, how can I help you? And then just shut up and listen. See, we want to be Dr. Spock. We want to, we want to be, what's the guy on TV? Dr. Wolf, what is it? Dr. Phil. Yeah, we want to be Dr. Phil. We want to solve their problems. Most of the time, all they need is somebody to care, just somebody to listen. Sometimes they just need to get it off their chest. And then once they've got it out there, they can deal with it. Most of the time, when people come to counsel with me, we get in my office, I close the door, I sit there, and they talk, 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 talk. And I sit behind my desk and go, uh-huh, yeah, I know, oh, yeah, wow, oh, wow. And then after they've talked for 25 minutes, they say, hey, Brother Absher, you helped me so much, and I haven't said anything. I haven't said a thing. All I've done is sit there and let them talk. I just gave them an ear for a little while. And then I'll tell them before they leave, Brother, I'm going to pray for this. That's the second thing. First thing is to listen. Second thing is to pray. Pray for them and pray with them. Just pray. That's what James said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Just pray. 
Pray for them. Pray with them. And then, last thing is encourage. Be a part of the solution, not an addition to the problem. And if you don't know how to help them, get them to someone who can help them. And here's the biggest thing. Shh! Don't say anything. The last thing they need is for you, after they've poured their heart out to you, to go over and say, hey, guess what Joe's just told me? (laughs) Be quiet. Listen, pray, and then encourage. Go back to them a little bit later and say, hey, how you doing on that problem? Can I help you? Do you need something? Can we pray about it? That's the things we need to do. God is pleased when we care about each other. He's pleased with with our benevolence. When we have compassion on people, that pleases the Lord. Not just having pity, but having compassion. Doing something about their plight. God is pleased with these things. So as we go forth from this place tonight, Let us cease striving to offer God our works as tokens for his pleasure. And let us start doing from the heart those things that do please him. Obey God's word in its entirety. Live by faith. Grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. Worship God in truth. Offer due benevolence unto all the saints. Then... When we've learned these things, what we do will be pleasing unto the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray tonight that your spirit would have, would have given me the right words to speak. Father, it was not my intention to offend anyone. It was not my intention to hurt anyone's feelings. But, Father, we waste way too much time trying to do things that could never please you. And we neglect the things that you want us to do, that that, that will please you. Help us tonight. Help us to be good stewards of the Word of God. Help us to be good children. Help us to walk worthy of our Savior. And, Lord, I pray that we would do all these things that please you, that we might be able to, to stand in this place and have the knowledge that, that we are pleasing you in all that we do. Thank you for this time together. I pray you'd use it to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all